0: We've been going through a series on following Jesus, and we've been looking now for um, a couple of weeks on the life of Elijah and what we can learn from Elijah and his experiences in our walk with the Lord. We might not think that our situation, our lives are very much the same as Elijah's thousands of years ago in the Middle East, very different from a very high-tech world today. But in many respects, they're the same. We are just people who have a relationship with God, who have stresses, who have lives with needs. James says in James chapter 5 that Elijah was an ordinary man just like us. So let's see what God has in his word in this chapter here that we can learn about how we relate to God from how Elijah related to him as well. At the end of, um, where are we? 1 Kings chapter 18. If I can get 1 Kings instead of 2 Kings. At the end of 1 Kings chapter 18, we read that that Elijah tucked his cloak into his belt. People in the Middle East wear long cloaks. Um, they're not very practical, especially if they're running. So they just hitch them up into their belt and then they're able to, uh, to run a lot easier. So Elijah tucked his cloak into his belt and ran ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way to the entrance of Jezreel. That seems like a little odd. Why... After such a mountaintop experience, did Elijah then not only tell Ahab the rain is coming, three and a half years of drought are over, the rain is about to come, you better go quickly or you'll be, be caught in the mud when the rain comes down. Why did Elijah then run faster than him to get to Jezreel ahead of him? Jezreel was the summer residence of the the kings back in those days. That's where Ahab was going after Mount Carmel. Why did Elijah run? Well, the first thing we have to admit is when the Bible doesn't tell us something explicitly, we can't say categorically what the answer is. In some of the parables, Jesus tells us the interpretation of the parables And when he tells us that, we can say, well, this is what they mean, because he told us what they mean. At other times, we have to say, this is our best understanding. This is our educated guess, in a sense. This is what we can deduce. And it might be right, it might not be. There are too many people who say, this is what the Bible means in this particular passage. And actually, what they're telling you is what they think it means and we're not exactly sure that that's right. So this is the best that I can come up with as to why he ran. There are two commentators, Keil and Delich, who have written a commentary, and I think they have it right, at least going in the right direction here, in that running to Jezreel ahead of King Ahab was consistent with what the actions of a servant would do before their master, before their king. It was expected that servants would run on ahead or at least be there in advance so that when the king arrived, they would be ready to serve them. They might even have prepared some things for them. Caelan D'Litch mentioned that Elijah ran ahead of Ahab as proof of his humility in wanting to serve King Ahab. Elijah wasn't opposed to the king per se, even though he was opposed to his evil actions and setting up Baal worship. If you've seen the West Wing on the TV some years ago now, um, you'd be familiar with how Jed Bartlett, played by Martin Sheen, became president of the United States. He ended up in the West Wing in the White House. But while they were on the campaign trail at the start of that series... He wasn't the president. He was just an ordinary guy who was just running to be president. And his friends, especially his his close friend, Leo Magari, would call him Jed or Mr Bartlett. But after he was inaugurated, after he was installed there as, as the president, they started referring to him not as Jed, but Mr President. And after a lot of them had left the room once, the president said to his chief of staff, Leo McGarry, Leo, they can call me Mr. President, but you can just call me Jed. And Leo replied, yes, Mr. President. (laughs) The point is that before he became the president, they related to him as an ordinary man, as a friend, as a colleague, somebody they worked for. But once he became the president, they didn't relate to him in an individual capacity. They related to him as the role that he now served. And it seems that Elijah was relating to King Ahab, respecting the role that he had, even though he wasn't a good person in that role. We're familiar with doing that at work as well, or in other situations. Or with those in authority where we respect the position they have. But maybe sometimes there's not an awful lot in them that entices our respect. But we don't treat them as individuals. We treat them according to the role that they have. Well, it's the same with Elijah there. He wanted to respect the role of king because God had put in place at the request of the people, a king in Israel. He allowed them to have kings. He says, Hurry up, Ahab. Climb into your chariot and go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. Elijah was traveling. He had left the widow's house And he'd gone to Jezreel to tell Ahab to gather the people of Israel and the prophets of Baal to go to Mount Carmel. Then on Mount Carmel, God proves that he alone is the one true God by sending the fire down on that altar. And the drought ends. He says to Ahab, hurry up. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. As he goes back, To Mount Carmel. He returns to Jezreel, which is point three, on three and one are the same place. He goes from Jezreel to Mount Carmel, and now they're going back to Jezreel. The plain around Mount Carmel was quite hard. There hadn't been rain for three and a half years. The ground was rock hard. But when the rain was about to come down and flood, the rain would sweep through like a a river, like a tide almost going across the plain. And in no time at all, Ahab would find that his chariot is in the mud. And he would get stuck literally in the mud. And Elijah seems to be respectful towards Ahab. He might not like the guy, but he's respectful. And he says to the king, listen, you better a, you better make a hurry or else you're going to get bogged down. Elijah wants to see the king being a reformed man. He doesn't simply want to see him defeated. He wants to see him reformed and he... Maybe he thinks this will be a turning point for Israel. The prophets of Baal, they're out of the way now. Victory has been won. God has been seen to be the one true God. Maybe things are on the up. There's been a drought for three and a half years. Now the rain has come. Maybe God is turning things around. Maybe after all the unfaithfulness of the people over and over, maybe now things will be positive. The people will return to God. The king will lead and encourage and legislate for the people to worship God now that Baal worship has stopped. All's going well. The nation may have turned a corner but Elijah's optimism soon turns. Ahab tells Jezebel when he gets it to Jezreel and she is furious. Have you ever found a situation happen where something happens and somebody maybe agrees something but then they go home and even if they're a grown adult when their mother finds out or their father or their granny then all hell breaks loose. Well, this was what happened when Ahab got back to to Jezreel. He tells his wife Jezebel. And she is an evil woman. She has introduced foreign worship, worship of foreign gods, so-called gods, and led Ahab astray, and he's gone with it. But she's characterized as an evil woman later on in the in the Bible. So we take that and we look at it, and this is this is somebody who isn't going along with any changes. In fact, when Elijah had said that all the the prophets of Baal and Asherah, the prophets of Baal who Ahab sort of supported and the prophets of Asherah who Jezebel supported to bring them all to Mount Carmel, well, it was only the ones that Ahab was responsible for, the prophets of Baal that went. It seems that Jezebel just ignored that and all the the false prophets of Asherah didn't go. There's no mention of them. So she seems to have been snubbing the ministry of Elijah. She had no time for him. So Elijah having returned to Jezreel, Ahab's wife vows immediate revenge. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you have killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, at the very south of Judah. And he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. And he sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life from no better than my ancestors who have already died. And then he slept under the broom tree. He'd gone from Jezreel in Israel. He fled Israel, the northern kingdom, went down to virtually the, the bottom of the southern kingdom, Judah. The, it wasn't a united kingdom at this point. It had split uh, after King David and Solomon. And then he leaves his servant at Beersheba, One moment Elijah seems ready to serve the king hoping that reform had just started looking forward to glorious days ahead and the next minute he's depressed and running for his life. He's suicidal. When people are depressed they lose a sense of purpose. They haven't the energy to do the normal things that they would do during the day. They find it difficult to do any work, even to to make a meal or tidy up around the house. They've lost so much motivation that the only thing they want to do sometimes is just lie down and sleep. And that's pretty much how we can see Elijah in that situation. The four things I'd like to look at as to how God encourages Elijah in his state here the first is well the four causes of of how Elijah got to where he is the four causes are loneliness trusting in his role instead of his relationship with God the third is coming back down to earth after a mountaintop experience how do we cope with that and the fourth is exhaustion well After he is there he journeys into the desert depressed and weak and he is then strengthened by the angel of the Lord and he goes on to Mount Sinai where he receives a vision from God and then he's sent back right up to the the north again. Mount Sinai is assumed to be down there At the bottom of the wilderness, this is where Moses met with God. He gave got the Ten Commandments many years beforehand. It's also called Mount Horeb, depending on what book of the Bible you're reading. It can be referred to as one thing or another. From mountaintop experience to depression. Sometimes we think everything's going fine. We're doing well. We're in a good place everything's going well and then somebody just says one little thing and like a car crash crashing into a brick wall we just hit the deck. Emotionally depression can come in almost an instant. It's important in a situation like that to realize that more often than not it's not what somebody says it's not what Jezebel said to Elijah, which is the cause of his depression. The cause of the depression was already in place. And all she did was just lit the match, lit the touch paper. It was like the straw that broke the camel's back. You know the saying, the straw that broke the camel's back. The weight of the straw is nothing in itself. A camel can can carry a million straws ten million maybe I don't know but it's just that extra one where it just goes over the edge that sends it to the ground the straw the last straw was not significant in itself the problem was all the other things that were weighing the camel down And this last thing was just enough to actually make it go to the ground. Elijah was primed for depression. And what Jezebel said just triggered it. Elijah was well able to cope with opposition in ministry. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been able to have done all that he did. And Jezebel wasn't even the king. She was the king's wife. She hadn't got the official power. And swearing by the gods who had just been defeated the day before, she knew and he he should have known that that was a hollow thing. That was just her mouthing off. There wasn't any real power in what she was saying. She was just trying to make herself look good in the court He's just spouting hot air. But Elijah had let his spiritual walk with the Lord get to a point where it wasn't built on solid ground. Instead, it was like a house of cards just ready for a puff of wind just to come and knock it down. What are some of the factors that we can see here in the life of Elijah that led to him being in such a vulnerable state? Well, one is loneliness. Elijah had to endure loneliness when after having told Elijah there would be three and a half years of drought, there would be a drought, Elijah was told by God and led to the brook Cherith where he lived on his own for a while. The ravens brought food and he had water from the brook. Being on your own can be a refreshing thing to get away from the hustle and bustle. But after a while, it can be a depressing thing. You need to really have a strength of character to be able to withstand loneliness. And sometimes we can be lonely even when we're not alone. People can be lonely even though they're mixing with people every day, but they're never really connecting with them. Loneliness can undermine our joy in the Lord. And it can be one of the steps that prepares the way for us to get depressed later. The second thing is that he seems to have trusted in his role instead of his relationship with God. Elijah may have become proud of himself. Pride can easily come in, especially after we do something significant for the Lord. After raising the widow's son from the dead, The widow said, Now I know for sure that you're a man of God and that the Lord truly speaks through you. That was a positive encouragement to Elijah. But when we get positive encouragements like that, we can think, We're the man. We're the woman. We're invincible. God's with us. We can do anything. We can go from quickly having done something great for God to quickly being very unspiritual in Matthew chapter 16 Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah the Son of God and Jesus affirms that and it's the first time Jesus has been declared to be the Messiah the only true Son of God and he, he affirms Peter and says, no longer will you be called Cephas, you'll be called Peter. The next thing we read is that Jesus is saying that he has to go to the cross and Peter is denying that and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Peter went from being told how wonderful his statement, his, his statement of faith had just been being given a name change, a very significant thing in terms of the Bible. The next minute, he's doing something completely unspiritual. Get behind me, Satan. Pride, ungodly thinking, relying on ourselves can quickly turn our relationship with God into depends upon ourselves. The third thing is coming down to earth after a mountaintop experience. We need to be careful that our joy is in the Lord, rather than rooted in our experience. We can have a great experience and be thankful for that, but then we might, then we might think that who we are and what the Lord thinks of us and who we are before others is based upon what we have done and what we have gone through. The privilege of that experience, that ministry or whatever, that experience will pass. And if our joy is based upon that experience, our joy will pass. But if our joy is based upon the Lord and the ministry isn't something which really affects us, it's something that the Lord has done, but our our focus is still on Him, then our joy can remain even after we come down to earth after a mountaintop experience. Another factor is exhaustion. Most commentators just focus on this particular thing, exhaustion. It's the most obvious, naturally. Ahab, or after Ahab returned back to Jezreel, Elijah would have been there having run, and he would have been exhausted. And when you're exhausted, you're vulnerable. You can suffer burnout. You can suffer brownout where you're not quite burnt out, but you're nearly that way. You're still functioning. But burnout or stress can be a just primus for depression. Elijah would have likely been exhausted unless the hand of the Lord on him was so miraculous that the running didn't take anything out of him at all. Well, if that's so, then the other three factors would have been what led him... To get depressed. But God is compassionate. God comes to us when we're vulnerable. And he helps us in our vulnerability. The first thing that he does, and the, the very practical thing to help people who are suffering depression, is to make sure that they've got enough rest and enough food. That they're looking after themselves physically and practically Depression can be caused by many factors. Sometimes it's from a chemical imbalance. It can be a long-term depression or a bipolar depression where a high follows a low and so on. Sometimes these can be triggered by circumstances or a traumatic event. Sometimes people have an inherited predisposition to depression. Or sometimes the underlying depression isn't mental at all. It's spiritual depression. There's nothing mentally wrong with people, but because they have resisted the Holy Spirit, because they've been in a life of disobedience, they can sometimes be in a long-term depression until they repent, until they get right back with God. Sometimes it can be a mixture of mental predisposition circumstances that trigger depression or spiritual depression. It can be a mixture of all of these things and it's hard to know how to help, how to advise. The point is, sometimes people suffer depression through no fault of their own. And at other times, they are partly or even fully responsible for a spiritual depression that they find themselves in. But we mustn't dismiss depression as being insignificant. God didn't come to Elijah and say, get up. Just get on with things. He came to him and he helped him. He allowed him to have a good sleep. And then he got got him some food. And then he got, got him to have another good sleep. When people are depressed, one of the worst things that we can say to them is just snap out of it or if you had a more positive attitude things would be fine when people are depressed if they could snap out of it they would and one of the other things that is really unhelpful is that when we're trying to understand somebody who's depressed we think we think of their situation as to our through our experiences through the lens of how we have reacted in different situations what we have gone through And we think, well, if I was in their situation, I wouldn't respond like that. I'd be fine. But the reality is, if we were in their situation, we'd be responding like them. So we shouldn't try and understand their situation from how we have experienced life. We should listen to them and learn from them that their experiences of life have resulted in where they're at. We can be so self-focused even when we're trying to help people that we just don't listen to them, we don't hear them. Instead, we should love our neighbor, care for them, help them, encourage them, listen, try and understand. This passage in 1 Kings 19 has often been described as a, or referred to as a very practical help in how to Help people with depression. Having sleep, but not too much sleep. Having food, just getting back into a physical state of good health again can really mean an awful lot, can really help. These practical things are so important. But that's the first thing God does to help Elijah. The second thing he does is to restore Elijah's dependence on him He restores Elijah's spiritual standing with respect to God. He helps him get closer to God. It seems that Elijah has become self-dependent, proud of who he is as a servant of God. As the widow had proclaimed, proud of having been the person who God used to win such a, a victory over the false prophets of Mount Carmel. He was the man of God, as the widow would, had said. And he had had a victory over the false prophets. It's easy in a situation that you got to think, I'm special because of who I am. We can so be, become so wrapped up in ourselves that we don't realize that we're simply servants of God. It's God who's done these things, not us. God's fix, God's help for this problem which can cause depression even lasting depression is to reset Elijah's understanding of who he is before God he sends him to Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb as it's called and he sends him from one mountaintop experience on Mount Carmel to another mountaintop experience at Mount Sinai then he came to a cave where he spent the night this is on Mount Sinai But the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replied, I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets, and I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. When people are depressed, they don't see straight. They don't think straight. They exaggerate. Firstly, as Obadiah had had mentioned to Elijah, Elijah already knew that Obadiah had protected a hundred prophets in 1 Kings 17 and 18. He knew that it wasn't just him, but all he could see was just him. There were other prophets who were still alive who hadn't been killed. I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. The people aren't trying to kill Elijah. The people have actually come on Mount Carmel over to his side. It's only Jezebel who said these words against him. And he thinks the whole country is against me. We can get things out of perspective when we're depressed, when we start looking at ourselves, when we start having self-pity. They can so easily creep in and yet it's so hard to move away from that back to a solid relationship with the Lord I remember one time in London when I was going through quite a hard time and I I was where Elijah was at in a small way I'm sure you've you've been there many times many people have where things aren't going right and you feel a bit of self-pity. And I was going home on the bus from central London and there was a guy who was on, just happened to come onto the bus who had been working, volunteering with earlier that day. He knew what it was to, to struggle. He'd been homeless in the past, but then he came to the Lord and now he was head of a homeless centre helping those who were on the streets. And he'd ha- he was just asking me how it was going. We didn't have time to chat beforehand earlier the day. I says, well, something along the lines of it being a bit difficult. And he says with a smile, isn't it great to know the Lord's presence in the midst of difficulty? And I don't know what I said. I might have affirmed the truth of what he was saying, but I certainly wasn't feeling it. <laughs> I was like... This isn't this shouldn't be happening. I was just feeling self pity. I wasn't looking to the Lord. You know, we've all been there, I'm sure, in one way or another. And that seems to be where Elijah is at. And he says these very same words again after he experiences the Lord in the, that small whisper voice. He says the very same words Later on in the chapter. But Paul warns us. Because of the privilege and authority. God has given me. I give each of you this warning. Don't think you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. Measuring yourselves by the faith. God has given us. We're not to think of ourselves. According to how how powerfully. God has worked through us. We're. To be realistic and honest and think, who am I before God? I am only who I am because of his grace and his mercy to me. When we're struggling in situations, Jesus tells us to love our enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Instead of just feeling self-pity, we're to actually pray for the ones who are giving us a hard time. As he says to Peter, who asks, How often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. If anyone had the right to feel self-pity, it was Jesus. He went through a massive miscarriage of justice. And he was on the cross. And yet he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Elijah didn't respond in this way. But this is the way, this is the role model we ought to have. But God reveals himself to Elijah. He gives him a fresh revelation of himself. Mount Sinai and God appearing must have had a parallel. Elijah should have joined the dots and realized that this is like God appearing to Moses on Mount Sinai where Moses isn't able to look at the Lord directly but as the Lord passed by he's able to glimpse just the back of the Lord but he gets to see the Lord. This concept of seeing the Lord afresh must have been what Elijah was experiencing on the top of Mount Sinai. This seems to be what the Lord is doing to him, trying to show him this. You need to see me afresh. You need to relate to me again in the right way. He passed by, but he wasn't in the wind or the earthquake, nor the fire. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? It's almost a question which is saying, where are you at, Elijah? And then Elijah gives the same reply, the self-pity reply, the exaggerated reply that he'd given before. He doesn't seem to have learned that much. He doesn't seem to have learned that he is to draw close to God and not be too concerned about external things. We need, similarly, to focus on our relationship with the Lord and not be too thrown by the things that are happening around us, even the spectacular. We need to keep listening for that small voice of God, that whisper of God that speaks to us through his word. If we are grounded on hearing the whispers of God in his word, then the waves may toss and batter against us. Circumstances may batter us, but we can stand firmly with a solid relationship with the Lord. We'll be better grounded. So seeing God afresh seems to have been what God was doing on Mount Sinai to Elijah. But he encourages him as well to then go on and to to fulfill his ministry. The next thing God does is to give him hope for moving forward. Sometimes when people are depressed, distraction can be a great thing. Getting people to volunteer, to help in some way, some charity, is a great way to lift their eyes off of themselves. And it seems that's what the Lord does. Next, he gives them some tasks to fulfill. He has to appoint a new king over Syria, a new king over Israel. Sometimes kings were appointed or anointed in advance of actually taking up the role. Like King David was anointed long before he actually became king. Then he rem- he reminds Elijah that he has others who are faithful. You're wrong. I've had I've got seven thousand people. I haven't bowed the knee to Baal. The seven thousand might be more of a symbolic number than a literal. Just one more than six thousand nine hundred and ninety nine. It might not be a numeric number. It might be a a thousand is a large number. Seven is a is a number of perfection in the Bible. It might be something in terms of the significance of that number rather than the Numeric value of it But he's saying There's a lot of people You're wrong There's a lot of people Who haven't Been unfaithful to me And then He tells him to go And To anoint Elisha Or to make Elisha His assistant Somebody who will Take over from him In due course These all show That God has compassion on him if Elijah hasn't learned from his mountaintop experience on Mount Sinai, well, maybe doing all this stuff will help him move out of his depression. And so God gives him things to do. Throughout this chapter, we see that Elijah, as great as he's been used, he's not the perfect man. And we see that just like Moses came down from the mountaintop experience and was struggled with the the idolatry of the people have made the golden calf so to elijah comes down from his mountaintop experience and really struggles elijah traveled 40 days and 40 nights in the desert to mount sinai and experienced the glory of god more <coughs> moses was, was was with god on that mountaintop for 40 days and 40 nights when he received the the Ten Commandments. But they point forward, both of them, to Jesus, who spent 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness before he was tempted. Moses was a mediator between God and the people. Elijah effectively was a mediator between God and the people. But Jesus is the ultimate mediator. Moses and Elijah point forward to Jesus as the only mediator between God and man, but we can have a better role model in them, in Jesus. Moses and Elijah were imperfect, but Jesus is our perfect mediator, our perfect role model, our perfect righteousness. Moses experienced God in the burning bush on Mount Sinai; he couldn't draw near with holy ground. Elijah experienced Him in that whisper. But we can experience God in the person of Jesus. He didn't buckle under the pressure. And it is in him that we can have the strength that we need when we are facing situations like Elijah faced even. He didn't buckle under the pressure. He drew closer to the Father in prayer. In the Garden of Gethsemane, on the Mount of Olives, a different mount. Jesus drew drew close to the Father. The bigger the problem, the more he needed to pray. And so we too can do the same. We need Jesus. So we might be tempted to be like Elijah and think it's all about us, everybody's against us. But instead, let's be like Jesus. We can have the strength of Jesus when we're in situations... When we are under stress and we can persevere we can cope in his strength we can't do it on our own Elijah could have done it differently I would say we can do it differently when we trust in Jesus let's look to him for our strength our hope and let's stay close to the Lord through faith in him let's pray Lord we thank you that even though Moses, Elijah, and many others have done great things, each one of them was fallible. But you, Lord, you are not. You've never sinned. You've never let the stress of a situation distract you from your relationship with the Father. Lord, help us to do that as well. Help us to be rooted in our relationship with God, the Father. Help us to stay close to you Help us to stick close to our Good Shepherd that we may not wander off or be distracted. Help us, Lord, to maintain our joy in the Lord and that it not to be dependent upon circumstances or experiences. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.